when we zoom out and look over longer time scales, plant-based omnivorous, we see pretty similar gains as long as protein intake is high, high enough in both groups. And so the things we really care about, the things I really cared about were strength building muscle. And for, for too long, I thought that a plant-based diet would be prohibitive uh, in those areas. And, and it turns out not to be the case. Hey everyone, this is Ryan from Athix Fitness, and you are listening to season two of the Athix Approach podcast, the podcast where we highlight inspirational vegan athletes and what they do to absolutely kill it on a plant-based diet. If you haven't already, it would really help out if you subscribed to, liked, commented, and or shared any of the content I'm producing, including this podcast, Athix Coaching Services, articles and training programs available on athixfitness.com, videos on YouTube, and more. Links for those will be in the description, and I truly appreciate everyone listening for all of the continued love and support. In this episode, I'm joined by the one and only Dr. Eric Trexler. Eric has a PhD in human movement science, earned his pro card as a natural bodybuilder, has been a coach since 2009, and is currently a metabolism researcher at Duke University in North Carolina. Eric is also co-owner of the Mass Research Review, which if you didn't know, is a monthly newsletter that breaks down the most recent nutrition and exercise related research into easy to digest content. Eric has also published dozens of his own peer-reviewed research papers on exercise and sports nutrition and is at the forefront of the evidence-based fitness community. I've personally been a follower of Eric's content for years, probably since around 2015, and have the utmost respect for the unbiased, high-quality information he puts out, which is why I was very excited to find out that Eric went vegan for ethical purposes in 2020 during his studies into Buddhism and spirituality. Eric and I delve into why exactly he chose to follow a vegan diet, how his experience has been so far, both personally and within the fitness industry, the research on plant versus animal protein, the health benefits of a plant-based diet, and general healthy diet practices, dietary nitrates, supplementation, and so much more. We packed a lot of great content into this episode, and I'm very excited to share with you all. Eric can be found on Instagram at Trexler Fitness, that's T-R-E-X-L-E-R, and at TrexlerFitness.com. And I definitely recommend checking out the Mass Research Review at MassResearchReview.com. Thanks so much to Eric for taking the time to drop the knowledge bombs this episode. And without further ado, on with the show. All right, what's up, guys? This is Ryan with the Athix Approach Podcast, and today I am here with Eric Trexler. Eric, thanks so much for coming on, man. I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Uh, Eric, do you want to do a really quick, um, almost like elevator pitch for who you are, what you do really quick in a few sentences? Sure. Yeah, my name's Eric. Uh, been doing a lot of fitness coaching uh, for the last, I don't know, 15 years or so. Yeah. When was, uh, let's see, 2013. How long ago was that? Oh, it's only 10 years. Too long. <laughs> oh, wait. No, like started, it was... started in 2009. Started in 2009. Yeah. Anyway. 2009. Yeah. Yeah. I've been coaching for close to 15 years now. Uh, mostly, you know, athletics, uh, strength, powerlifting, bodybuilding. Uh, I competed as a pro bodybuilder. Haven't competed in a while, though. And uh, did my Ph.D., in uh i mostly studied exercise sports nutrition uh and so now i study metabolism uh and cardiometabolic health at duke university uh, i've done a whole bunch of fitness related research 
And I also publish the Mass Research Review every single month looking at different studies on exercise and nutrition. Hmm. Yeah, and Mass is awesome. Uh, for anyone who's interested in that, that's a really great uh, research review. Um, and uh, you uh, were on the Stronger by Science podcast, obviously, for a super long time, um, which I've been listening to for, man, ever since it was, I think it was like Strength Theory. I don't know if even the podcasts were around back then, but I was following since all the way back then. And uh, you guys absolutely killed it with all that. And uh, first of all, I want to say thank you so much for all your all the effort you put in with all that, dude. It's just incredible stuff. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Yeah, of course. Um, so uh, just to kind of start things off, man, I'm interested in hearing a little bit about your personal history with everything here. Um, so what what got you into fitness and, and nutrition and everything in the first place, man? Yeah, I mean, like I said, I've, I've been coaching for almost half my life now. Um, yeah. You know, it's kind of crazy to think of it that way. But I got really into fitness when I was 12. Uh, I was playing football and I was not quite as big or fast as I wanted to be. And so I heard that lifting weights would help with both. So I started getting really into lifting, you know, much younger than people typically do. And I just fell in love with it. So I was always like the one person in my friend group who was always thinking about what they were eating and you know, training like crazy, even as like a, you know, 15 year old, uh, which was kind of funny. I'm sure a lot of people thought I was insane. Um, so I just knew I wanted to do stuff in, in fitness. And I, uh, started coaching and, you know, when I was 18 years old, just any coaching opportunity I could get. And, uh, yeah, I've just been staying as close to fitness as I could for, for as long as I could. And it turns out you can stick with it for a while, you know? So I <laughs> studied exercise science at Ohio state. Then I did a master's and a PhD in exercise related fields at UNC Chapel Hill, uh, worked in the fitness. Well, I still work in the fitness industry, but, um, you know, I was pretty much out of the academic world or had maybe half of a foot in it. Uh, but then recently, uh, you know, had a cool opportunity come open at Duke University, and now I'm back in the research game, uh, doing some really cool stuff with physical activity, energy expenditure, metabolism. So, you know, these questions that relate to fitness, um, they started uh, occupying my mind when I was 12 years old, and they just they just haven't stopped. You know, <laughs> I keep thinking you know, once I'm no longer interested, and you know, th then I'll do something else, and I just I don't really see that happening. Yeah, man. Yeah, I feel like uh, fitness, bodybuilding, all that stuff, for a lot of us, we just get so into it, just takes over everything, <laughs> for better yeah, or worse. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so you also um, competed in bodybuilding, obviously, um, and you, you turned pro, uh, what was that, like about like uh, eight years ago or something? Uh, it was 2017. So oh, okay. how long ago that More be? recently. Oh man, like I yeah. guess six years at this point. Okay, dude, yeah. that's that's messed up. Twenty seventeen feels like it was like a month ago. <laughs> I know. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> yeah, time flies. Um, so, and you're not you're not really pursuing bodybuilding anymore. You're you're kind of pursuing more of like a. Are you still doing marathon running and such? Or well, I've been dealing with some injuries that that make it. It's it's a hip, you know. So it's hard to lift yeah. and it's hard to run, which sucks. Um, so I've been working through that, um, while that hip issue is still ongoing, I'm mostly exercising for health and wellness at the moment. 
Um, I'm sure eventually I'll find some competitive endeavor to sink my teeth into, but I really like what I do for a living, uh, which becomes its own kind of like I, I really get into it the way that a lot of people with a competitive hobby might get into mm. their bodybuilding or their powerlifting or their marathon running. So um, I am finding different ways to kind of scratch that itch without, you know, the worst thing about my hip is not that it hurts when I'm exercising. It's that it, it'll feel fine when I'm exercising. And then I will wake up in the middle of the night with really bad pain. It's like a postural thing. Ooh. Once I lay down, it's just brutal. Uh, so I really don't like waking up with intense pain at three in the morning. So yeah, <laughs> that's kind of getting between me and the running and powerlifting. And then when it comes to bodybuilding, yeah. um, that's an intense thing to do. And I, I always it tell is. people, it's not that I've like officially like retired from bodybuilding, but I've always told people, people say like, well, is it time for me to compete yet? And I say, if I can't talk you out of it, then it's time. But if I can talk you out of it, then it's not like you, you have to be so adamant about being ready to compete because it just takes too much. It, it's a really it's a really brutal process that no rational person could really go through. So you have to reach reach that level of irrational enthusiasm and then say, OK, clearly it's time. Yeah, it goes back to the whole uh, kind of being addicted to fitness sort of thing, just taking things to a whole new level and never stopping. <laughs> yeah yeah um so uh that all sounds good man um what what are your um to kind of shift a little bit here uh i'm curious about your history with um uh spirituality and, and getting into more of a like a vegan diet and lifestyle and such um do you want to talk a little bit about like what kind of got you into all that and how that's been going for you yeah definitely um it's yeah so growing up uh you know, I was raised Catholic and then my family was kind of just vaguely Christian for a while. Um, and then I was living a life that was pretty just generally secular. You know, I was, you know, just uh, doing other stuff, you know, <laughs> didn't really spend a lot of time thinking about spirituality or religion or anything like that. Um, you know, it, I didn't like go off the rails and start living a you know, supremely immoral life or anything. It just wasn't a big part of, you know, what I was doing. Um, and then eventually, you know, you live life, got to a point where I was like, yeah, I, I had been hearing some things about uh, secular Buddhism. And I was like, OK, that that sounds like it's offering something that I might I might be able to use at this point in my life. I, I've always been a really mm -hmm. intense guy. Um, like I said, the, you know, the bodybuilding thing wasn't a fluke. I, you know, I pick a thing, <laughs> get really intense about it. And that kind of permeated into all aspects of life. And uh, Buddhism offered this really interesting perspective uh, that, you know, perhaps it was admirable to chill sometimes and not to be, you know, a constantly going uh, thunderstorm of ambition. It's <laughs> just always trying to, you know, strive for the next goal. Uh, you know, sometimes it's good to pause and, and kind of rest for its own sake. Um, so anyway, I, I was hearing things about Buddhism that I liked. I like some of the ethical components. Uh, they kind of really resonated with me. And the more I heard, uh, the more I kind of dug into it, the more I uh, said, wow, yeah, this has a lot more to offer me than I even thought. You know, so um, I started uh, meeting up with a Sangha uh, and, uh, you know, 
uh, practicing Buddhism with that group, uh, specifically Zen Buddhism in the mm-hmm. tradition of Thich Nhat Hanh. Uh, found a really great song, Sangha locally that uh, practiced in that tradition, the Plum Village tradition. Uh, and so I used to always say, oh, I'm kind of getting into secular uh, Buddhism. And now I just say Zen Buddhism. I, I, I don't really, um, you know, sometimes people get debates about whether, you know, you should call it secular or not. Um, and I don't particularly care about the debate, not to disrespect any particular uh, viewpoint or tradition. But, um, you know, Thich Nhat Hanh says, hey, you know, here's our kind of Zen Buddhist tradition that, that we that we practice. And found a great group of folks to practice with and you know we get together you know read some things talk about some things meditate uh, and yeah so I, I got into Buddhism and really took a liking to it and it was uh, you know from getting into that stuff um, and by the way you know it's it's you know as someone who grew up Christian and then you know has really started to embrace elements of Zen Buddhism it's you know I haven't like, you know, turned my back on, on Christianity and said like, oh, what a terror. You know, sometimes people who change a tr- uh, uh, religion or, um, you know, spiritual tradition, they look back and say that that last thing was absolutely terrible and I hated everything about it. That's why, I, you know, switch it. Sometimes a bad experience precedes it. Uh, that's not really how I view it. I, I think that um, religion and spirituality have the potential to do a lot of good. Um, in small communities and in large communities and for the individual, you know? And so right now I'm actually, uh, the main project I'm working on is believe it or not in the, uh, religion and social, social change group over in the, uh, I'm working with a lot of sociologists right now at Duke, um, who who really focus on, um, you know, religion and, and how it plays into society and, and even into health. So, um, yeah, the fact that I've taken a liking to Buddhism, you know, it's just the right thing for me. You know, it, it, it's good mm-hmm. for me. But uh, but, you know, looking back at, at some of the uh, some of my experiences in the various Christian traditions in which I practiced, mm-hmm. they had a lot to offer as well, you know. And so uh, anyway, that's an aside. But uh, getting into Buddhism, <laughs> uh, some some of the. Uh, philosophical and ethical elements I, I really they, they resonated with me and um, in the Buddhist tradition where I did most of my reading most of my practicing uh, it was standard to be uh, you know vegetarian if not vegan mm-hmm. uh, just due to, to some of the Buddhist teachings about uh, how sacred life is you know and not just mm-hmm. human life um, and so that's one of those things where it's really challenge you know, I would talk about this on podcasts previously that I hosted and it's always tricky because when you say I made a decision based on ethics sometimes people make a leap and say well I have made that decision so you're calling me an unethical mm-hmm. person and that's 100%. of course not the case um, you know some of the you know people in my life that mean the most to me that I love more than anything that I think of as just categorically wonderful people they eat meat you know we have different Mm -hmm. viewpoints on you know the ethics of that particular question but they're not unethical people um and so yeah for me i i enjoy the opportunity when i sit down for a meal uh to to kind of feel like this meal was something you know i could have made a variety of choices but the choices i made at this meal you know perhaps were better for the environment uh, perhaps made some 
small reduction in suffering on the planet. Those are things that make me feel good. And mm -hmm. so, you know, people have asked me, uh, you know, do you miss eating this? Or do you miss eating that? And it, when you, in my experience was when you kind of transition to a plant-based diet for ethical reasons, that really doesn't enter into the thought process that much because you're doing it at your own volition. You know, you're doing mm -hmm. it because you, you literally want to, not because you're mm -hmm. like, Oh, I'd really prefer to do that, but instead I'll reluctantly do this, you know? So, so yeah, that was, that was kind of my, my path to a plant-based diet. Yeah. Um, I can definitely relate uh, to a lot of those things, a lot of your uh, viewpoints there. Um, I definitely feel like it's like a, a, you know, kind of, it's a personal thing to a large extent where it's like, this is what makes you feel uh, good morally, you know? Um, and environmentally, like you also mentioned, uh, I think that's a really important aspect for me also, where it's like, that's very much my beliefs. And I feel like if I didn't follow it at this point, I'd be very discontent with myself. Um, whereas a lot of people, they don't view the world that way and they're not, they're not there. Maybe they don't ever care to be there, which is also like, um, you know, I, I don't personally view it that way, but I would also never th shove it in their throats in real life. Like I, I like to talk about it a lot on, in, on so uh, social media, but that's because like, that's my sort of niche and like my outlet, I guess. Um, but, uh, I very much agree with you there, man. Um, so to keep moving forward on that, um, what were your expectations? Um, when you were first going plant-based, um, did you, did you buy into any, any myths or anything at the time or because you've been very, you know, informed with your diet and you've been on point with your nutrition for so long, you didn't really think too much of it. You know, if anything, I would say um, I, I didn't really buy into any myths when I made that transition. If anything, I think there were myths that held me back from making that transition. You know, I, I probably would have made it a little bit earlier, if not for a few uh, pretty pervasive myths. And, you know, to be honest, uh, the, the research wasn't quite there yet, you know? So if you would, you know, what the main myth is it's really hard to build muscle on a plant-based diet because you have all these low right. quality proteins, which means you need to eat more protein to make up for that. But all the protein sources have carbs or fat in them. And so now your calories go way up. It, it kind of, you know, I would buy into that whole um, kind of pathway of logic, uh -huh. but uh, you know, there were a few studies that came out within the last couple of years, you know, pretty recently uh, showing that, you know, as long as you're getting, you know, a moderately high protein intake, a lot of those differences in protein quality don't really seem to matter when it comes to yep. actual outcomes we care about. So you yep. might find a study looking at, you know, protein synthesis rates measured over 24 hours, but no one actually cares about protein synthesis rates measured over 24 hours. They care about in 12 weeks, are my biceps bigger than they are today, right? And so exactly. when we zoom out over longer time scales, because a lot of things can influence short-term muscle protein synthesis measurements. When we zoom out and look over longer time scales, plant-based, omnivorous, we see pretty similar gains as long as protein intake is high, high enough mm -hmm. in both groups. And so the things we really care about, the things I really cared about were strength building muscle. And for, for too long, I thought that a plant-based diet would be prohibitive uh, in those areas. And, and it turns out not to be the case. And I will give myself a pass for buying into those myths because we just didn't have the data to refute them uh, in a very confident way until 
shockingly recently. I, I'm kind of surprised it took that long, but here we mm-hmm. are. Um, when did you uh, go plant-based uh, originally? You know, I got to be honest. So as you could probably tell, I started this interview searching for dates and trying to crunch numbers of when things happened. I have yeah. no idea. Um, and the reason I have no idea was because uh, one of the things that kind of got me to finally sink my teeth into Buddhism was being cooped mm. up during COVID lockdowns. And I was like, gotcha. I'm really unhappy without all these <laughs> trivial things that I do to keep myself busy. It seems like perhaps uh-huh. I'm attached to a lot of external factors that seem to be dictating whether or not I have stuff to do and I can be mm-hmm. content throughout the day. And so that was something that really kind of got me into it. So early in COVID was when I really dove into it and made the switch, but mm-hmm. I can't put it early COVID time didn't exist. You know, <laughs> like I was cooped up forever. <laughs> so I don't know exactly, but that that's the general time frame. Okay. Um, yeah, I went vegan back in about 20 or February 2016, I think. And that was when there was no studies at all. You know, yeah, uh, there was a few a few guys doing it who were, you know, competing in bodybuilding at a very non-competitive level, I would say. Um, and there is a few guys on social media who were pretty big and saying they were doing it. But for me, I, I, I very much got into it at first from watching um, like Forks Over Knives, like very much more of like the the health purposes of like lowering cholesterol, trying to reduce heart um, heart disease risk and such. Um, so I was I was pretty into that back then, um, and then I quickly got much more into the moral and uh, environmental aspects of it. Um, but I remember going going vegan vegan back then. Uh, I was vegetarian for a little bit and. Um, I was so ready to be like, yeah, I'm going to give up all my gains, man. I'm going to, my numbers are all going to go down. I'm never going to be able to compete in powerlifting at a decent, you know, a respectable number, which I still can't, <laughs> but, um, you know, like I'm never going to be able to build muscle. And then, you know, I tried it as like an experiment and then, you know, I started running Bulgarian or uh, not Bulgarian, uh, Smolov, uh, back then. So just throwing volume at myself and lo and behold, Something was working, and my numbers still were going up. So I was like, you know what? This is good enough for me. I'm just going to keep doing this. And then I never put, really put that um, – you kind of touched on it a little bit earlier, but I feel like a lot of people, they think that it's like an obligation and that you're going to miss like eating certain foods and you don't have a choice really. But for me, it was very much like I'm going to try this out as an experiment and see how it goes. Never felt like pressured into it and then kept seeing the progress coming, you know? So I guess I can relate there in another way where I just never felt like um, – that pressure, which I feel like you were kind of insinuating a little bit earlier, maybe. Yeah, it's just, uh, you know, I never felt like I was kind of playing tug of war with those decisions in my head because the decision was, you know, it was a high priority, you know, it was something I really mm-hmm. felt strongly about. And so in that case, it's when you feel really, really strongly about going left, you don't really think too much about the temptation to go right, you know, it's because you're just exactly. like, oh, I, I want to go left and that, that's what mm-hmm. I've decided and I've, I'm very very confident in that so yeah sitting down to a meal there was really nothing pulling me away from these these plant based meals um, and I tell you what you're talking about your powerlifting numbers your biggest mistake with powerlifting is that you started in the wrong time because back in 2012 when I was competing in powerlifting there mm-hmm. were some very average lifters who were the cream of the crop back then uh, oh yeah, man. Five hundred pound deadlift back then was like, yeah, you're super strong. <laughs> people have just gotten too strong. That that's the real issue with the sport, from my perspective. Yeah. 
Yeah, I completely agree there. Um, there's actually this one guy I follow who's uh, been vegan for years, and he just pulled like 805 or something in competition in like 181 weight class. Like, what? What? What is that? That's insane. Yeah. And the squ- the squats as well in the 181 weight class and the one even the 165. They're just looking. It doesn't make any sense. It's not right. It's it's the I mean obviously it's the 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 pool there has just grown so much so that's um yeah that is uh, that is a good point it's just <laughs> you know 2012 and such would have been a lot better <laughs> would have made me feel a lot better oh, mentally yeah. <laughs> um so I wanted to get into um some of uh maybe your um research and such with um plant based diets because um, I'm sure you've you've dug into it a lot over the past several years right. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, so what would you say, if, are there any inherent uh, advantages or disadvantages of a vegan, a strict plant-based diet that that you've come across in any of the literature or anything? Um, like in, in regards to performance or health span, either, either one there. Yeah. So I guess let's start with health. Um, and... and, and I find myself in a position when I talk about this, some plant-based dieters get angry with me and some meat eaters get mad at me, you know? Um, oh, of course. <laughs> which, which makes me think perhaps I'm in the sweet spot of just having everyone mad at me. So <laughs> the, you know, the, I view a plant-based diet as being one of a few extremely, extremely viable diets that are compatible with i don't like to say optimal health but you know essentially close to optimal health right so Mm -hmm. i I like to talk about diets being compatible with health um just because there's a lot of different ways to eat and there's a lot of different ways to be healthy i I think Mm -hmm. when you start striving for literal optimal health you're you're it's like you know you get so wrapped up in trying to optimize every little bit of your health that you can't even enjoy your good health <laughs> and at that mm-hmm. point you're like what are we doing here what's the point of you know living this very healthy miserable existence so i don't like to get too <laughs> into optimizing but you know for example you know the u.s government you know when they talk about three diets where they say if you want to do the most you can to kind of prioritize your health and eat a well-rounded diet there's three that they put forward. And I agree with their assessment of the literature. I'm not just saying, oh, because the, go- the government says so, because that's not really my, my perspective in life. I, I don't have <laughs> blind trust of government entities by any means. Right, but rightfully so. My view of the literature is compatible with theirs, which is that there's great data on a Mediterranean diet. There's mm-hmm. great data on the DASH diet, which is built for hypertension, but it's just a really nice, well-rounded diet. And of mm-hmm. course, plant-based diets. There's really good evidence pertaining to health and longevity. Those are the three diets that tend to get put forward as like, if you want to get really serious about your health and do everything you can, here's the three that seem to be really, really solid. Um, and so sometimes plant-based dieters get upset because Mediterranean and DASH diet are not inherently vegan by any means, mm-hmm. uh, certainly not the Mediterranean diet. Um, and, and some people will say, oh, you have kind of a low fat bias, but that's not the case. A lot of Mediterranean diets are up around 40% of energy from fat. So, I mean, that, that's mm-hmm. a, a substantial amount of fat, sometimes even a little higher than 40. Um, so, yeah, sometimes plant-based dieters get upset with me for that. And then sometimes meat eaters get upset about putting plant-based diets in that category because they say, 
oh no, you're missing out on this and that and the other. You're going to waste away. You won't have any muscle mass. We've already kind of addressed that that myth mm-hmm. and and why it's not particularly relevant. But you know, so so benefits with a plant based diet. I think you know it's one of a few that are about as good as you can do in terms of you know when we look at this broad spectrum of potential disease states uh, and medical conditions that we might experience. Um, you know, it's it's hard to do considerably better than a plant-based diet. I think mm-hmm. if you're doing a DASH-type eating pattern, Mediterranean type, or a plant-based type, you're really putting yourself in a good position for health and longevity. Um, now, having said that, there are potentially some, uh, I wouldn't say downsides, but there are some challenges with a plant-based diet, right? I mean, anytime you're removing food groups, you are presenting new challenges to building your diet. So. We have to get a little bit more creative with protein. There's no question about that, but Mm -hmm. it's never been better (laughs) to be on a plant-based diet. I mean, when you look at the options that are available now for Mm plant-based dieting, the protein shakes, have a vegan protein shake from 2004. It's it's (laughs) not pretty, right? But having one now, it's a delight. Um, It's delicious. I know some people in the plant-based community aren't really into the, the meat substitutes, Um, Because they're like, some people just don't, they're like develop an aversion to anything that's even reminiscent of meat. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, if you're someone who's like, you know, I'd love to go plant-based, but man, do I love a good cheeseburger. I mean, it's never been easier to be on a plant-based diet, but, you know, there are more limited options with protein. You have to think a little bit more about where your protein's coming from. Mm -hmm. Um, It's harder to get away with a very low protein diet. So, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, like I said, plant-based diets and omnivorous diets for building muscle, for, you know, strength, performance, things like that. As long as your protein's high enough, they're equivalent. But if we're comparing two diets with inadequate protein intake, you know, and then one is plant-based, one isn't, that's Mm -hmm. where the efficiency of animal-based protein sources actually does become an advantage. But my counter to that is, eat enough protein, right? Like yeah, it's, it's yeah. super easy to get around that. It's just, it's something that is uh, a legitimate consideration. Um, another right, downside. I, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Can I, can I quickly uh, ask to build off that? Um, where would you say the, the cutoff limit would be uh, in terms of like threshold for building muscle? Um, whereas like, you know, plant-based diet might be too low in a certain amount of protein versus yeah. animal. That's a good question. The, the what we can say for sure based on like, here's a study. Well, you know, mm-hmm. as sure as you can be from research, right? So sometimes findings come out and you try to replicate, doesn't work, right? So we don't wanna mm-hmm. go too crazy with one study, but it appears based on the literature, if you have 1.6 grams of protein per kilogram of body mass, those mm-hmm. diets seem to be equivalent, omnivorous and plant-based. So mm-hmm. we know that the threshold is no higher than that. Could it be a little lower? Perhaps. Mm-hmm. Is it going to be all the way down at 0.8? No, no. It, and probably mm-hmm. not even at like 1.0, you know. So you want to be up in that 1.3, 1.4. If you want to be better safe than sorry, 1.6 sure. grams per kilogram. So, yeah. The, the, Which is the, still, it's pretty low, honestly. It's, pre- it's pretty easy to attain, I would say. It's not particularly hard, no. Um, and, of course, that, that doesn't – now – if you're someone who has a relatively high body fat percentage, you might say, well, that is a lot, right? You know, uh, based on mm. your body weight, but 
you know, sure. protein needs aren't really going to scale up with fat mass. And, and so what that mm -hmm. means is you probably, you know, you're probably better off scaling to fat free mass. And I think the last time I ran the numbers, I think I mm -hmm. usually recommend uh, two grams of protein per kilogram of fat free mass. And, and so that okay. would be something that's, you know, you kind of have to guess your body fat to figure out your fat free mass. But that scales better for people with extremely low or extremely, I, I don't want to use that, it sounds too, uh, that's not very nice, but people who have well below average or well above average body fat levels, um, mm -hmm. you know, extreme is such a heavy word, but you know, that, that's when you'd want to make sure you're scaling by fat free mass to make sure that you're not, you know, cause there, there's no reason that you'd want to scale that way upward to account for body fat. It's not really impacting yeah, sure. your protein needs. Um, yeah. So yeah, now a couple other uh, kind of potential shortcomings. You know, I think I think plant-based diets are great, right? So I don't spend too much time belab belaboring the benefits. Like I said, mm -hmm. from a you know performance, uh, muscle building, health perspective, it's hard to do much better as long as your protein intake is high enough. Um, but mm -hmm. but some potential downsides that I like to kind of use to extend an olive branch to to the omnivore uh, to the omnivores and kind of. Uh, you know, say, hey, I'm not being super biased here. Um, yep. If you're not looking for protein, like if you're just kind of, if we just look at two people who are not really thinking about what they eat, an mm -hmm. omnivore is probably eating more protein than a vegetarian, right? So that's mm -hmm. something to keep in mind is that if we don't, if we're not intentional about our protein intake, a plant-based diet will tend to be lower in protein. But again, that's an easy fix. And then I'd say mm -hmm. the final thing comes down to, um, the final thing I'd say comes down to micronutrients, right? So uh, with a plant-based diet, there, there are a few micronutrients that you just have to be a little bit extra mindful about getting, either because it's hard to find on a plant-based diet or because the bioavailability in plant-based products is just lower than it is in animal-based mm -hmm. products. So for example, uh, hard to find B12, a lot of folks on vegan diets supplement with B12, that's a very good idea. Uh, or a basic multivitamin with B12 in it. That's my personal approach. I just take a multivitamin, I'm good to go. Um, yep. Another thing, and same thing goes, you know, you don't really need uh, fish oil because if you're getting, you know, um, ALA from plant-based sources, you'll make EPA and DHA. Um, but mm -hmm. if you want, you can supplement with some algae oil. That's just kind of an aside there. Um, yep. Another example, so, you know, B12, you're just not going to find it. So you need to get it elsewhere, mm -hmm. right? Calcium, that's a tricky one because people will say, well, I'm eating all this spinach. Look at all this calcium, right? But the bioavailability is considerably lower versus something like cow's milk, right? Mm -hmm. And so in that case, you know, um, it, 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 there are some micronutrients where you have to be really mindful of where you're getting them from and you kind of have to eat more, more than you otherwise would uh, just because mm -hmm. instead of getting all of it, you're getting a smaller percentage of it that's actually really getting absorbed and put to use. Uh, so th those are legitimate uh, criticisms, but you know, I, I do find it uh, a bit humorous that you know, we've got this diet that looks great for health metrics, uh, looks great for fitness-related metrics, you know, you know, as good or better across so many different categories. And sometimes people will bring up these potential um, challenges as if they're these insurmount insurmountable challenges. And 
it, it's so funny to me because in most cases you can get around it with a protein shake and a multivitamin. Uh, and yeah. there's other ways to get around <laughs> it too, if you don't want to do that. But in most cases you can get around it with a protein shake and a multivitamin. And most of the mm -hmm. fitness enthusiasts who I interact with, who are, you know, criticizing these diets, they're on, a, on an omnivorous diet, but they're already <laughs> using a protein yeah. shake and a multivitamin <laughs> every day. And I'm like, dude, you, yep. you would experience like no downside other than, you know, um, yeah. you know, potentially having to alter your food preferences and, and, and miss out on some meals that you currently enjoy. Yeah. Um, I thought you were going to mention, uh, I think it's, it's like the anti-nutrients or oxalates or something like they're just basically cooked out of a lot of foods that they're even possibly a, any sort of a concern. I, it's yeah. something like that, isn't it? Yeah. So, it's, yeah. It, they're, yeah. I mean, they do, they, they have the potential to play a role in some of those bioavailability concerns, but yeah, it's just not that big of a deal. Most of the time, the way that you're cooking and processing greatly diminishes the role of those potential anti-nutrients yeah. so yeah it's it's uh theoretically a concern but practically not a concern sure sure that yeah. makes sense um one question i i had about what you were just touching on um do you think the benefits of uh, a mediterranean or dash diet comes down to more of the increased uh vegetable fruit uh you know legume intake or um, do you think it's because of just less less meat? Like if you had to pick between one or the other, or do you think it's both? Yeah, I think um, looking at the broad dietary patterns, which is like how I like to do it. Like, you know, if I'm working with a client, I'm never going to just give them a handout and say, here's a Mediterranean diet. I hope you like red wine and olives, right? <laughs> like I, that, I think more about like, what are the broader eating patterns that make up this dietary pattern? Sure. And when you look at uh, all three of these diets, plenty of fiber, plenty of fruit and vegetables, um, plenty of micronutrients, not a ton of, you know, really fatty meats, you know, um, mm -hmm. meat, there's some meat sources, they tend to be fairly lean, they tend to be eaten in moderation. Fat is usually coming from plant-based sources, the majority of it. Mm -hmm. uh, so when you look at those eating patterns, they kind of share those commonalities. And I wouldn't say that it's necessarily, and this, this is another thing that sometimes I get yelled at for uh, on the internet. <laughs> I wouldn't say that like simply by avoiding animal-based protein sources, you are making yourself dramatically healthier. I struggle mm -hmm. to get on board with that because when I look at the longitudinal data and I look at the epidemiological data, it's hard for me to frame lean poultry as something that's negatively impacting health outcomes. It's hard for me to mm -hmm. frame fish as something that's negatively mm -hmm. impacting health outcomes. So I don't necessarily think it is purely the avoidance of meat. But I do mm -hmm. think if you are on a vegetarian diet and avoiding meat and you're being mindful of your nutrition, you're likely to kind of by default fall into some of these healthier eating patterns that involve, um, you know, plenty of fiber, fruits, vegetables, micronutrients. You know, so so I think it's it's one of those things where for a lot of folks, especially on Western oh. diets, if you do say I'm going to cut out meat, there's a decent likelihood that you're cutting out some of these, you know, uh, 
you know, you, you might curb your total energy intake when you make that switch, mm-hmm. not necessarily, but you may, and you may find yourself in a situation by where you're kind of cutting out uh, some of these foods that with these food combinations, maybe you, you end up in a situation where you have less uh, highly refined, highly processed grain products. Perhaps you, you mm-hmm. know, you're, you're certainly going to have less fatty meat. You're kind of just moving toward an eating uh, pattern where you, you see a, an empty plate and you say, what am I going to put on this thing? And the things <laughs> that you're likely to reach for, if you're going to actually put together a plate that has some substance to it, you're probably going to grab mm-hmm. some beans and legumes. You're probably going to grab some fibrous vegetables to give some bulk to these meals. Mm-hmm. And most likely you're going you're gonna to end up um, w- with a pretty nice eating pattern. But there's always that caveat. Like you'll see someone who, <laughs> this was a big thing. I, I don't want to take jabs at him, but there there were a few people, not throwing everyone under the bus, a few people in like the carnivore or like keto dieting community that would say, I did everything right. I was eating the high carb vegetarian diet and I felt sick and terrible. And then mm-hmm. I switched over to carnivore and I feel like a new person. And you go, yeah. So when, and they always say I was following the government guidelines and I was doing vegetarian. He said, okay, <laughs> what were you eating? And it's like I was eating Twizzlers and crackers. And like that was my diet. And it's like you, you weren't following the, the government guidelines. You were just eating candy and highly refined grain products, which are fine in moderation. <laughs> but like that's yeah. not the base of your diet. You know, so I've seen so many folks who are like, you know how I know that carbs and vegetarian diets are bad? is because you can't live off of Twizzlers and chips. And it's like, well, that's, you could have maybe put together a better vegetarian diet, you know? Yeah, you would just think that's common sense, but surprisingly, the internet, it always comes through, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I've seen, I've seen too many of those posts, but it's, it's all, the thing that always kills me is like, man, the government lied to us. I was doing everything right. And it's like, no, a third of your diet was a fat-free candy. Like, Twizzlers are, should not be... <laughs> No one in the government told you that you should just be eating that, you know? Yeah. But uh, anyway, yeah, I always That's get hilarious. a kick out of that. Big Twizzler is uh, is sponsoring uh, the government. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> They're subsidizing everything. Um, <laughs> so to, to close out on that, what about um, in terms of performance, um, any advantages or disadvantages that you could think of there with the plant-based diet? No, I mean, I, I think, you know, if, if I have um, – I think the easiest way to answer this is I have two hypothetical clients that come to me and they, they're high performance mm-hmm. athletes. One, one says I'm an omnivore. The other says, ah, bad news. I'm a, a vegan. We're going to have to work around that. That doesn't tell me anything about how we're going to do. Um, <laughs> I can design a perfectly suitable diet for both of those individuals. No problem. The person who has animal based products, they're not going to drag them down and impair their performance. But I can make a vegan diet that's just as suitable for performance purposes. You know, so it really, in my opinion, it really just comes down to the, the, the more pertinent elements of the diet. Are you fueling your activity with the right energy intake, the right macronutrients? Are you able to perform and recover because you have your micronutrient needs met? You know, one thing that I would look at uh, for... Um, specifically a vegan female endurance athlete i would look at iron that's something Mm -hmm. i would keep an eye on um it's it's a it's something to keep an eye on for all 
female endurance athletes for sure. Um, but I might keep an extra eye on it if you're on a vegan diet, um, you know, make sure that that iron levels are looking okay, that we're not seeing any early signs of, you know, iron deficiency, anemia or something like that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when I look at it, I think one of the nice things about a plant-based diet is you're probably eating enough carbohydrate to fuel your performance. You're probably, um, you know, eating plenty of micronutrients from all the fruits and vegetables and grain products that you're consuming. Um, you're, you're, you're probably putting yourself in a great position to recover. And then there's all the phytochemicals, you know, that are not necessarily a vitamin or a mineral, but things like dietary mm -hmm. nitrate that are so abundant in plants, um, you know, a variety of different vegetables specifically and some fruits. Mm -hmm. um, but, but you're eating all, you know, maybe you're eating, you know, a bunch of citrulline from watermelon. We find all these phytochemicals <laughs> that have these really positive, you know, and antioxidants that are going to help out with recovery uh, on a day to day basis. Mm -hmm. So a plant based diet um, can put you in a really great position to perform well, recover well, and the two go hand in hand. Um, mm -hmm. But I can say the same thing about a well designed omnivorous diet as well. I think the biggest thing, whether sure. you're on a plant based diet, omnivorous is, you know, fuel your performance effectively make sure you have all mm -hmm. those things that i just mentioned whether or not there's meat in your diet it's really not going to make or break your performance outcomes that makes a lot of sense so it's more about like what you're putting in that's beneficial and then having an overall healthy balance overall should really be fueling you so yeah. those those good things like you know all the uh like you're saying antioxidants and such in vegetables and fruit help with perform uh with recovery potentially um and then things like uh the nitric oxide promoting things and you know uh the fruits and vegetables also i guess um would be beneficial maybe for blood flow maybe for like an aerobic athlete or something sure absolutely yeah and even you know there's okay. some interesting research that it goes beyond blood flow so it, it seems okay uh, based on the most current research that nitric oxide seems to be having a direct effect on muscle like actual muscle contractility um, and and it, it's a well-known uh, it has a well-known impact on the energy or the yeah the energy cost and the oxygen cost of exercise and so what what we'll see is that people uh, can can do exercise more efficiently from an energetic perspective mm -hmm. so exercise efficiency um, you know blood flow those are great but also there are there is some evidence of direct uh, effects on muscle con contractile function and what's really yeah. cool about it I felt so lucky. I, my, I did my dissertation looking at nitrate uh, and beetroot juice uh, and citrulline. Okay. But I was looking at these nitric oxide precursors, and nitrate was one that I thought was really fascinating. But I felt really lucky to be studying it because it was at a time when, you know, some people I know, they're doing PhDs, they're doing dissertations, and it's on things that have just been studied to death. And it's, it's I'm not being critical of their, their mm -hmm. choice or their work, but when you're studying something where there's still groundbreaking things happening, where, where there, there still are legitimate paradigm shifts, um, mm -hmm. it's, it's just an exciting place to be. Um, so during my dissertation, like it, it was around the time that we found out, oh, did you know that we store nitrate in muscle? We didn't know that, you know, and it's like, it was just so cool to be part of um, this kind of, and I, I wasn't like a pioneer in nitrate research and the work I did mm -hmm. didn't make a dent really. But it was cool to be at least in the periphery of, of this area where there were still like legitimate groundbreaking things that have been coming out in like 
within years of, of me doing my dissertation work. And it's where I find myself now. I'm, I'm at Duke working with, uh, I'm in Herman Ponser's lab now. Um, and, and we're studying, he, he wrote the book Burn that got pretty popular about how mm-hmm. humans, uh, animals, you know, in general, can downregulate energy expenditure when we do a whole bunch of exercise, uh, kind of a, a conservation mechanism so we don't yep. exercise ourselves to the point of starvation, basically. Um, and that's another area I'm, I'm only working with him because it has fascinated me over the last three to five years. And we still mm-hmm. get these papers that come out and we say, oh, wow, well, things are different, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's just <laughs> it's kind of an aside, but it's just so fun to be part of any body of research where where you can legit like we're not going to find anything out about omega-3 fatty acids tomorrow that's going to blow our minds right we we generally get the idea there's still much to learn but but when you're early enough in an area where there's legitimate just mind-blowing paradigm shifts on a fairly regular basis uh that was a fun place to be but all of that is to say you know we can look at uh, plant-based diets and say, okay, is there enough protein, enough vitamins, enough minerals? We can go through all the boring stuff, but what's so fascinating when you get into the nitty-gritty and the area where there's potentially benefits from any any diet that's high in a lot of fruits and vegetables, whether or not there's any meat in it, um, mm-hmm. one of the fascinating things is there are so many bioactive or physiologically active components of these plant-based foods that we really haven't sorted it all out yet you know so like a good example is coffee coffee is not caffeine water coffee has caffeine in it that's what we associate it with but coffee has hundreds of potentially bioactive compounds that could meaningfully impact the body beyond just its water content and its caffeine content Mm. um and i think that's kind of the fascinating thing about nutrition is that in nutrition science, it's so hard to get at the independent effect of each bioactive component, because how do you begin to isolate it in a systematic and meaningful way? And when you remove it from the matrix of the food, potentially you alter some of its bioactive properties. So it's a tough mm-hmm. nut to crack. And, and that's why I do think it's valuable to zoom out and say, when someone does adhere to a plant-based diet for a while, or a DASH diet pattern with plenty of fruits and vegetables or a Mediterranean diet pattern with all these wonderful um, food foods that, that are components of it, what is the bigger picture? You know, wh- what do we tend to see when we zoom out and let all of these different bioactive compounds within the food matrices where we find them? What is the net impact of, of adhering to some of these dietary patterns? And, and in some cases, you can make the argument that for some dietary patterns, the outcome is kind of more than the sum of its parts. You know, it, it doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. always reduce down to just, you know, saturated fat, total calories and one or two other things. So mm-hmm. as a researcher and a practitioner, I like to leave room for a little bit of the, a little bit of that magic of, hey, there's a lot of stuff in here that we haven't fully unraveled. and. And so for that reason, I, I think you just can't go wrong with a dietary pattern that has plenty of fruits and vegetables because the more we learn, the better it gets. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, one thing you were kind of touching on there that I didn't want to interrupt you, but um, I found it very fascinating that you you were first of all doing all these studies on nitrates and such, but um, 
do you find that through your through your studies and everything that you've looked into, do you find that supplements like citrulline malate, for example, do actually have a uh, a power output benefit? Uh, because I know there's been it's been pretty controversial lately. What's your opinion on like nitric oxide boosting supplements in isolation? Yeah, I mean, I usually tell people there's a million good reasons to get plenty of nitrate in your diet. Uh, mm -hmm. There's good evidence to suggest it could help with aerobic performance and strength and power performance. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, some studies it works well, some studies it doesn't work quite as well. That's what you should expect with sampling error. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you wouldn't expect, I mean, there's plenty of studies on creatine showing it doesn't enhance strength-related outcomes, but broadly speaking, it does. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, when, when it comes to nitrate, I, I usually tell people, get your nitrate from foods, eat some vegetables. You're not going to regret having some, so you get something green with leaves <laughs> on it, you know, get, get some spinach, get some, uh, some beets if you like them. I usually tell people with nitrate, the supplements on the market that are cost-effective are very low quality and the the quality control just isn't there it's hard to say exactly how much nitrate you're you're really getting from them which defeats the purpose um so okay. with, with nitrate i say there is so much to gain from eating these high nitrate foods beyond their nitrate content and they're probably a more reliable source of nitrate so so i i i think that nitrate supplements work but the best one that i've seen is more than I'd personally be willing to pay for mm. what you're getting from it. And it's it's the only brand that I think has really good quality control. And of course you get what you pay for, right? And so for me, it's sure. like, what? Well, I'll just eat some vegetables instead. Uh, with citrulline yeah. malate, like you said, it is controversial. I published a meta-analysis on it uh, mm. in uh, 2019. And the meta-analysis indicated there is a statistically significant benefit for strength and power outcomes, but it was just on the verge. You know, it was this mm -hmm. kind of trivial, almost small effect size, and the p-value was just a touch under 0 0.05 for those who uh, are, are kind of statistically inclined. And so even in the paper, I said, hey, this analysis says it works, but, you know, it, all it would take is like one or two studies and this could totally flip mm -hmm. at, to whatever extent you interpret p-values with that literal kind of cutoff, which I'm not a huge fan of. But all of that is to say you think you're going to publish a meta-analysis and, and solve or resolve the debate. Not at all. It was still debatable after that. Mm. And my meta-analysis was replicated a couple years later, but it was still largely the same underlying data. Uh, it was a good it was a good meta-analysis and it was different enough i do think it should have been published i'm not like saying oh i already did that it was different enough it, to warrant publication it was a good work but uh it was still the, the same general data underlying it and we're still in that spot where with citrulline mallet you'll get a paper that comes out that says hey it worked and another one says what do you mean it didn't do anything and so mm -hmm. my view of it is it might work a little it's not going to totally change your, your performance outcomes like a night and day mm -hmm. difference. But when you look at citrulline malate as a supplement, the safety profile is excellent. The, mm -hmm. It tends to be a very, um, a very affordable supplement relative to others. The, the effective dose mm -hmm. is not particularly expensive. It, it's definitely on the cheaper side. 
and it actually tastes good, which is rare for a pure powder. So citrulline malate powder, it's got this lovely citrusy sour kind of flavor to it naturally. And so if you get like a Mio, like water enhancer that just makes your water sweet, any kind of sweet beverage with a little bit of sour, it's awesome. Like I would do like a blue raspberry water flavor with a little bit of sour. Oh, it was incredible. I actually have a friend who's a a registered (laughs) dietitian who would, he would drink citrulline just because he liked it. He's even on days he wasn't going to be exercising. He's like, I don't, I'm not doing this for health or performance. I just think it makes my beverage taste better. And I prefer to have it than not have it. Um, So all of that is to say, when I look at citrulline with a low risk profile, pretty affordable supplement, potential upside, good flavor. It's one of those things I say, if you're interested, throw it in there, see what you think. Uh, Not a terrible idea to consult with a doctor anytime you're going to make a change to supplementation. But for a healthy individual, the the, the risk profile is quite low and you're not going to spend an arm and a leg trying to try it out. So I, I think, you know, if someone were to ask me, is there evidence to suggest that it works? Yes. Are you absolutely 100% certain that the true effect size is meaningfully greater than zero? That's debatable. Um, but so far, yeah. there's, there's enough reason to consider it a promising option. Yeah. Uh, it's so funny you touched on the taste there because uh, I used to mix it with Gatorade like I don't know, pre or intro workout. And I mean, dude, it kicks it up to a whole nother level, I feel like, because I just love that sour taste. (laughs) It's it's the only supplement that I can think of that will make your drink better. Uh, Yeah. And I've tried a lot of different powders. L-arginine, which is actually a lot of people are like, oh, should I take arginine or citrulline? The answer is always citrulline, by the way. Arginine is not an effective supplement. But back in Mm -hmm. the day before I knew that, when I was very, very young, I tried arginine. It was absolutely disgusting. Um, and so, man, I'm, I'm so glad that it's not the inverse because, like, it, it would be really a shame if citrulline was the one that worked and tasted like arginine because oh, yeah. that stuff is – whatever I was getting was unbearable. But, yeah, all of that is oh, yeah. to say citrulline, uh, plenty of reasons to, to consider it promising. But I, I, I wouldn't say, oh, it's just an absolute rock-solid, surefire bet as a supplement. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of, uh, if you had to recommend any supplements for, um, let's just say specifically a vegan athlete here, a vegan lifter, um, we could, we could do either one there, aerobic or, you know, anaerobic training. Someone trying to progress on a vegan diet. What, uh, what supplements would you recommend either just for, if you had to recommend just a few, either for performance or for health? I know they're, they're obviously different, but if you had to recommend just a few, maybe. Yeah. I mean, I, I can just say what I take, um, makes it pretty easy. Sure. Um, I do consume uh, protein shakes, makes things a little mm-hmm. easier. Um, and you can have that as a shake or I like to use uh, PB2, the powdered peanut butter. And I so will good. mix some chocolate protein powder with it into like a nice little pudding kind of consistency, um, which leverages uh, my appetite's been kind of out of control lately. Um, but food texture can actually make a big impact on eating rate and satiety. And I found that even though I'm eating the same uh, number of calories and protein and all that stuff, if I eat a, a pudding kind of consistency instead of a shake, it actually kind of tides me over and keeps me fuller, which is pretty cool. Yeah. So I do some protein supplements. Uh, every now and then I take algae oil 
Um, it's mm -hmm. not critical since, like I said, we can convert ALA to get EPA and DHA, but it never hurts to take a direct source of algae oil. Could be some modest benefits of directly mm -hmm. supplementing with, you know, some, some a more substantial dose of those. Um, and I take a multivitamin. And the reason I do that is, um, you know, like I said, there are a few micronutrients that may or may not be uh, lower in plant-based dieters, things like iron, uh, calcium, certainly vitamin B12, sometimes iron, sometimes iodine, depending on if you use iodized salt or not. Uh, so for me, it's like, well, I could go through one by one and, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. But to me, it's a little bit easier to say if I take a well-formulated multivitamin, it's not like I'm going to experience toxicity if it's well-formulated. And it's just an easy catch-all to kind of cover all those all those bases. The only sure. other things I'd really consider um, or, or, you know, you know, put a lot of thought into and potentially recommend uh, creatine. Not a bad idea. Creatine is a pretty effective mm -hmm. supplement if you're interested in um, you know, strength and power related outcomes, muscular endurance, um, you know, for, for aerobic outcomes, probably not going to do a ton. Um, mm -hmm. I've seen some people talk about supplementing with creatine for brain related outcomes. And mm -hmm. I think it's interesting in theory, but I also, based on the, the literature I've seen, it doesn't look like you meaningfully change brain creatine saturation unless you're taking like 20, 25 grams a day. And so I, I do see a lot of lifters who are like, oh man, my memory is so much better because I'm taking five grams a day. And I'm like, I maybe, maybe, but so far with it, the, the research I've seen makes that it, it causes me to be quite skeptical. It seems like you need higher doses to really, and it makes sense, right? I mean, like, we cannot have low brain creatine. <laughs> we, we cannot, you know, if you have, uh, if, if you're, uh, unfortunately, if you're born with a, a deficiency of creatine in the brain, it's catastrophic. I mean, it, it's, you know, really, really catastrophic. So it makes sense that our brain is going to do a pretty good job making sure we've got plenty of creatine around. Um, mm. So, but, but creatine can help out with some performance stuff. And hey, maybe there's a small benefit for the brain if you're taking the normal kind of five seven grams a day maybe why not mm -hmm. uh another thing that's interesting is potentially uh beta alanine so I, i've seen some research indicating that uh you know vegetarians might have lower carnosine levels in their muscles oh loud thunder uh <laughs> i don't know if you heard that might like Chair. No, I didn't hear it. Yeah, we, we got some crazy <laughs> weather today. I was almost late because there, there was a bunch of trees that were down on the roads. But uh, anyway, I'm in uh, I'm in I'm in New York, so the the loudest thing I'll be hearing here usually is just like some some asshole blasting uh, music off front, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have, I've been to New York. I know what you're referring to for sure. Exactly. Um, anyway, what what was I saying? Um, uh, you. You're oh, just beta about alanine. For yeah, yeah. Beta alanine. There's yeah. some mixed research. Some <clears throat> some research indicates that muscle carnosine is lower in vegetarians than mm -hmm. omnivores. Some research, it, it looks like it's not that big of a deal. Perhaps there's not a mm -hmm. difference. So it, it really depends. Um, but if you're someone who does a lot of like middle endurance type stuff, the type, frankly, the, the way I talk about um, carnosine is it's important for the stuff that kind of makes you feel like you're going to puke right so if you're doing 30 sprints. second all out <laughs> sprints repeatedly 
you know, if you're doing 400, 800, 1200, 1600 meters, you know, those types mm-hmm. of distances where you're just booking it and, and you're, you know, exercise durations that are 30 seconds to maybe a few minutes in duration. Mm-hmm. If you're doing a lot of sprint work around there or repeated sprints, maybe you consider beta alanine so that you can increase mm-hmm. muscle carnosine levels. But eh, that that's really only if you're really serious about getting those last few percentage points out of your performance. Sure. Would you say that uh, creatine is a higher priority for someone who's vegetarian or vegan? I would. The, I mean, the, the data for creatine, the, the research is just much stronger. Beta alanine has been pretty hit or miss in the literature. And like, mm-hmm. I wrote a, a position stand on it many years ago. And in the years since the stuff that's come out, it hasn't like totally changed the, the interpretation. Uh-huh. But, you know, I there's for a while there, there was prom there was um, a lot of uh, a lot of people were hoping that beta alanine was going to be the next creatine. It works for a specific type of exercise, but it's no creatine. In terms of like diet, though, like I know a lot of uh, people following like an omnivorous diet, they'll say like they're getting enough creatine through their diet. They're getting more through maybe like red meat and such, whereas like a vegetarian vegan probably getting very little dietary creatine. Um, so do you think it'd be a higher priority for that purpose? Oh, so higher priority like uh, vegan versus omnivore for, for yeah, creatine? Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I would say so. There's some evidence to suggest that it's a little bit lower in vegans. But the, the thing is, omnivores benefit from creatine supplement, sure. supplementation too. And so, you know, mm-hmm. vegan uh, muscle creatine levels, last time I checked, I believe they tended to be a little bit lower. Uh, vegan okay. muscle compared to carnivorous mu- or uh, the, the muscle of arm- omnivores. But um, sure. at the end of the day, like, most people aren't really getting more than like a gram of dietary creatine. Yeah. So, um, it, when you're talking about, Hey, should I get one gram from my diet plus a few grams from a supplement versus just, you know, taking one more gram in in supplement form. Yeah. If if you're talking supplementation, everyone kind of stands to benefit to a fairly similar degree. In my opinion, maybe a, maybe it's slightly more important for vegetarians. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's true, but um, at the end of the day, if you're if an omnivore and a vegan are both supplementing with creatine, they're going to get to the same mm-hmm. place. But yeah, it's it's technically true that the vegan might have had lower creatine at baseline, and therefore might have had a, just a slightly larger benefit. That makes a lot of sense. Um, okay, so we are closing in on. Well, I think we're a little bit over an hour now. Um, I want to be respectful of your time and um, just want to kind of close this out here. Um, so, um, first of all, I want to ask you: Do you think there's anything that uh, we didn't get to touch on that you feel like we should we should hit real quick, or feel like pretty pretty solid there? No, I think um, one thing that I would mention: I, I would assume that a lot of folks who listen to your podcast are on plant based diets, right? Yes. That yeah. Usually people self-select accordingly. I would encourage folks who are on plant-based diets to, um, uh, if possible, be, be a good amba- ambassador for plant-based dieting. You know, make it more accessible, not less accessible. I think sometimes in mm-hmm. certain plant-based dieting communities, um, there, there becomes this competition where, you know, well, if, if you're not quite plant-based enough, then it, it almost like backfires, right? So it's like there might be some people who are ready to cut out 
meat three days a week, right? And mm -hmm. I think a, a plant-based uh, community that embraces that is one that grows and, and one that 100%. is viewed more positively, broadly speaking. And so For if, sure. if someone says, oh, I'm doing meatless Monday, great, that's fantastic. And then someone yep. says, you know what, I'm, I'm gonna be a pescatarian. You know, I, I need fish, but I'll let everything else go. Oh, that's fantastic. Really happy for you. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. a lot of people, some some people seem to do it in stages, you know, and if if our reaction to someone saying, hey, I'm going to be pescatarian, if, if the first thing is, how dare you? Like, you know, and you, you start going and you might be you might have excellent points about why why you don't believe they should be eating fish. And they might be points that I agree with. Right. From an ethical perspective. But um I think the the more that we make plant-based dieting accessible, the more that people obviously will embrace it, um, which, which mm -hmm. is ultimately a good thing from my perspective. So I'd love to see uh, plant-based uh, dieters become more, more interested in being ambassadors rather than doing a lot of really contentious purity testing about who is the most yep. plant-based, right? Uh, so ho hopefully uh, we can all do a better job in that regard and, and everyone will be happy. I'm completely with you there. Um, as a collective whole, that's what matters the most. If we can get more people just eating a little bit less animal products, it's way better for the environment and saving a lot of animals' lives, and that's what I'm all about. So I'm completely with you there. Anyone taking a step forward, I completely support that. <laughs> yeah. It's like if um, someone says, hey, I started doing push-ups, and it's like, well, if you're not going to compete in bodybuilding, what are you doing here, right? And it's like, well, hey, give, give me some out. time. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, very well said, man. I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up because uh, that's very much what I stand for too. It's very much like you know celebrating the small wins people can make. I was vegetarian for four years, and I I wanted to go vegan from the start, but I just I was in college and I felt like I didn't want to you know I didn't have the money things like that. And I didn't really have the knowledge. You know, life sometimes you know it gets it gets hard to prioritize certain things and certain points of life. So sure. I completely understand that, and I completely agree with you there. Um, so, all right, cool. Um, where can people, uh, find you, uh, Eric on uh, social media and connect with you if they want to? Yeah, I'm most active on Instagram. Uh, my handle is at Trexler fitness. Um, okay. a lot of my work, you can find, uh, more about what I'm doing at massresearchreview.com. We review, uh, a lot of exercise and nutrition research every month. Um, and we actually are pretty, like I'm on a plant-based diet, and one of my one of my four co-authors is also uh, on a pretty plant-based diet as well. So mm -hmm. we, we do tend to have we tend to review stuff that's relevant to plant-based dieters pretty regularly because we review the stuff that we think is cool and important, you know. So those are the places to find me. And technically, TrexlerFitness.com does exist, but I really <laughs> need to clean it up. So uh, you could go there and. Um, and be underwhelmed by it, but it exists. Are you still uh, doing coaching? Uh, so not at the moment. I, I plan, I, I basically had some huge projects going on the last couple of years. I scaled my coaching down. I'm getting mm -hmm. my research stuff going. Once I'm ready, I'm going to get back into coaching because I do miss it, but I also mm -hmm. um, need to like spend time with my wife and stuff, you know? So... <laughs> Uh, and, you know, take care of myself. So I don't quite have the available time yet to start that process of opening back up. Um, mm -hmm. But I probably will in the near future. 
Awesome. Okay, cool. And that could be found on your website then, trekslayerfitness.com? Yeah, absolutely. I, I do have uh, awesome. a, a place where people can get on the waiting list for coaching. Um, but uh, yeah, if, if you try to apply, it won't let you <laughs> because I, <laughs> I can't put myself through that quite yet. I love coaching. I just, I, I need to clear some projects off the plate before I, because at the end of the day, an overworked coach, it's not good for the coach. And more importantly, it's not good for the client. If someone doesn't have, if someone can't give you their all as a coach, you should be working mm-hmm. with someone else. Yep. Very well said. All right, Eric, I just want to say thank you again for taking the time to talk to us about all this um, super informative stuff. And um, hopefully uh, see you again soon. <laughs> yeah, I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Athex Approach Podcast. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you haven't already, it would mean a ton if you gave the podcast a follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Radio Public, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, Player FM, Pinecast, or any other service you're listening to it on. And if you subscribe to the Athex Fitness YouTube channel, Instagram page, Twitter, and Facebook page. Feel free to check out the articles, training, and nutrition programs, coaching services, and merch on athixfitness.com. And if you like what I'm making, dropping a like, commenting, and sharing would mean a ton to me. Thank you so much again, and I'll see you in the next episode. Peace out.